Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Hello, this is Eric Veith. I'm with John Simon, and this is the next episode of The Jury Is Out. In the previous episode, we talked about preparing a client for the deposition, for the client's deposition, based upon four guidelines. Today, we're going to dig in a little more. We have some suggestions and tips for how to prepare a client for a deposition. One of the first things is the difference between preparation and rehearsal. Big, big, big difference. I don't rehearse. I don't think anybody should rehearse what what questions are going to be asked and what the answers are. That's not preparation. You know, I think you need to let the client know how important it is to be open and honest and straightforward and answer all of the questions fully and completely. There's a couple problems with rehearsing. Number one, you, you can't really rehearse because you don't know exactly what questions your client is going to be asked. But there are some pitfalls that we like to tell our client, beware, there's some bad questions, they're vague, they're leading. They're, they're, so you do need to warn the client about things that might be coming. I agree entirely. We would never want to tell our client, here's what you'll say. Say these 18 things. That's out of bounds. That's, that's unethical. Absolutely. And the client's got to understand that and really know how important it is to be absolutely honest. Absolutely honest. One of the things that you need to let the client know is, no matter what the issue is, no matter what it is, if you know about it and you're upfront about it, you can deal with it. And being upfront about it is the best way to take the steam out of it. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, I've had clients with felonies, and the felony was you know many years ago, maybe some more recent, that have absolutely nothing to do with what's at issue in the case. Yet they're worried about it. They're you know nervous. They they're embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it. And you know when you question them about it, it's almost like you're pulling the information from them, and they start being defensive, and they want to explain. And I think the best way to handle that is head on. You know, if, if you've got a client that's been convicted of armed robbery and spent five years in prison, then when, when they're asked, have you been convicted of a felony, the answer is yes, sir. And what was it? Armed robbery. And did you spend any? Yes, five years in prison. Don't waver. Don't waffle. Don't try. To, don't be defensive about it. It is what it is by, uh, you know, not acknowledging it and being straightforward. All you're doing is highlighting it. There's a lot of pimples on many cases, and the client might have used some drugs somewhere along the line. They might have done some things they're not proud of. Their personal life might be in shambles in some ways that they're not proud of. And I think it's best, as you say, to just answer the question. Just, you know, we can assure them that some of these things won't come in in trial. Some of them are irrelevant, even though the opposing attorney needs to, or has a right to explore some of these things. But only the relevant things will come in at trial but it's good to reassure your, your client that the truth is the best guide. Yeah, the last, I think the last thing that you want to happen is find out that your client didn't give full and complete information after the deposition. That's just the worst, worst feeling in the world. And you need to spend some time with them, letting them know that there's, there's nothing that's, that we can't handle. It's much worse if it's not disclosed. It, it just comes back with being honest and open and telling the truth. It's a process that only works when people are honest and telling the truth. And that is not only what's expected, but that's what's, what's mandated. Here are some topics that typically come up during the client's deposition, and they've come up often enough that I think you should probably at least have your client prepared 
for them to know that they may be asked these uh, questions or these issues may come up during the deposition. One of the things we talked about was the bobblehead witness. Uh, another thing is, you know, you don't need to be an expert. They can ask you questions about the case that you don't know the answer to, and that's okay. What specifically did the doctor do wrong? If it's a medical malpractice case, not only does your client not know that, most likely, but they wouldn't be allowed to testify about it anyway at trial. You know, how have these injuries affected your life? That's a tough question. And, you know, the way I look at that is, unless you've gone through what that person has gone through, you'll never be able to fully understand or grasp how it's affected their life. But nonetheless, they need to be prepared to do the best job they can to, to talk about that. How much are you seeking in damages in the case? That's another landmine type question. I mean, you don't want the client saying $8 billion, and you don't want them asking for an amount that's less than what you think you're going to ask for at the end of the day. And the, the right answer to that question is, we don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to ask for in the case before my client's deposition. I won't know that until I see how the evidence goes in at trial and I get to look at the jury. So you need to let them know that we, as a team, we haven't decided what the case is worth or what the damages that are that we're seeking. I think it's important to let the client know that any attorney-related questions won't be answered. In other words, anytime there's a question, and everybody, every lawyer knows this, you can't go in a deposition and say, what did your lawyer talk to you about? What did your lawyer say? What did you tell your lawyer? But in, in my view, it goes a little beyond that. Uh, sometimes the client is asked, when did you first go to see a lawyer? In my view, that's off limits. That's, that's an attorney-client uh, issue. You know, how much time did you spend meeting with your lawyer? I may get some disagreement, but, you know, in my view, that's, that's off limits too. I mean, that's attorney-client privilege. And I think it's important to let your client know. They don't need to object to anything. If there's a question that shouldn't be answered, I, I won't let them answer it. They don't need to be on guard for anything. If they ask a question that is not supposed to be answered or I don't think they should answer, I'll let them know that. Interrogatories. I don't know if I've ever had one of my clients deposed where the other attorney hasn't gone over the interrogatory answers. And hopefully your client has actually gone over those answers with you in detail before you filed them. So I think that's a good review to go over the interrogatory answers. You may even want to go over the pleadings. Uh, be prepared to have your client ask questions about the interrogatories. Be prepared for them to be asked questions about the pleadings. Uh, they need to have, I think, a fundamental understanding of why they are there, why they're bringing the lawsuit. Again, not the detail, but you certainly don't want them to say, well, I don't think anybody did anything wrong, because certainly that's not the case. You've hired experts, you've looked at it. And again, that's not the, that's not the client's obligation, but you need to have them prepared to be, to be asked those questions. I've seen opposing attorneys sometimes ask, are these your interrogatory answers? Yes. Did you sign this? Yes. Did you sign it before a notary? And this gets into some a problem for some some attorneys have actually had their clients sign a blank uh, interrogatory answer and then they notarize it later. This is not right, and uh, it's a pain to make sure that you get the client next to a notary and the notary witnesses the signature. But you can go wrong on things like that where the client feels really bad when the attorney points out you signed this and the notary wasn't there, and the notary signed it later, things like that are not good because it makes the client anxious. Same thing about objections. If, if you object for attorney-client privilege, if the client doesn't know ahead of time that this is okay, this is what lawyers do, some, some questions are not appropriate, they might be thinking, oh, no, there's a dispute, and that lawyer says I'm doing something wrong, I should answer the question, and my lawyer says I should not answer the question. 
that's good to go over ahead of time. Anything to bring down the anxiety level and just let the client know it's okay. This is what goes on. One of the things too, and this is kind of double-edged, you don't want your client to minimize their damages, but you don't want them to overstate their damages. And a lot of that depends on the client and their personality. I've had clients who are just horribly injured, significantly injured, and they don't like talking about it. You know, they sort of just clam up. And rather than talk about it, they would rather minimize it, not say much. And then you'll get questions from the other attorney. So is there anything else? And is there any other problems? You know, they, they want this list or this checklist. And that's a dangerous thing, too, because, you know, list for me all of the things that you can't do. I'd love that defense lawyers love to ask that question. They get their pen and paper out and they get a clean notepad and look right at the client and they say, tell me, before I leave today, I want to know everything that you can no longer do since the accident. And then they'll write them down and number them and go over them again and anything else and anything else. And the answer, if the answer is no, well, obviously there are other things that aren't on that list. A client hasn't remembered every single aspect of their life and you need to prepare them for that. No person's going to remember every, how it's affected every aspect of their life in a, you know, in a five-minute session and a deposition being asked questions. And so they need to be able to articulate that and, and use good common sense and say, look, I can't remember everything as I sit here now, but here's, here's, here's some of the things, and here are the more significant ones that I can think of at this point. That's something that can be covered in prep. So instead of saying, uh, when the question is, is there anything else you need to tell me about your limitations since the accident, instead of saying no, if the client knows it's an option to say, that's the best I can do right now. That's the best I can recall right now. What a difference because the defense attorney is going to pounce on that at trial and say, you told me everything and you told me that that's all there was. And now you're coming up with new things. So little things like that, that don't, you don't worry about in normal conversation. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, that can, that can cut the other way. You know, you don't want to overstate your damages and, and I'll give you a couple examples of that. I had a client years ago that had a horrible uh, back injury. It was a product liability claim. And then he had surgery after that. And, and, you know, things just got worse. One thing led to another. Every physician who looked at him, uh, you know, understood that he was completely disabled. He was a laborer. He was never going to work again. He was going to be in constant pain for the rest of his life. He had trouble walking. He had great difficulty walking. He was in a wheelchair no physician prescribed that wheelchair for him, but certainly it was a help. The family used it to, to move him around. He used it for mobility. And in the depot prep, I asked him if he, if he needed that wheelchair, if he was able to walk without the wheelchair. And his answer was no. And I took issue with that because I said, now, wait a minute. If there was a fire here in this office and you didn't have that wheelchair, could you make it on your own to the elevator? And he said, oh, you sure. And I said, well, the answer isn't no then, right? The answer is I, I can do certain things, but they're much, much more difficult without the wheelchair. No means no. And so when you when you are creating this list that the other attorney's asking for, when your, your client's creating this list of all of the things they can't do anymore, as I said, that's two-sided, okay? They want to limit what you say you can't do. But on the other hand, they, they want to try to use that against them at trial and show, well, you can do this and you can do this. And if you think about it, almost in every situation, very few exceptions, you know, the client is still able to do many things, but they are much, much more difficult to do. And, and that's really what you have to explore with your client in, in the depot prep 
You need to be able to show that there is a difference between being taken literally and saying, I can no longer do this, versus saying, it is so painful and so cumbersome, and I just don't do it, okay? I can do most anything, but it's 10 times harder. You need to talk to your client about that issue, about the list of don'ts, the list of can'ts, what can't you do. You're never going to remember everything, and you need to be able to articulate that. And the flip side is a lot of the things that they may think they can't do, they could do if pushed, but they, could, they do them with great difficulty because of their condition. What you just said reminded me of a case where I was a defense attorney where the man who brought the suit was paralyzed. And yes, he could wake up in the morning and he can get dressed and showered, but it took two hours now because his wife has to work with him with a, with a lifting device and everything's 20, 50, maybe 50 times longer than it would normally take to do that thing. So, and this man was full of optimism. He was trying, and, and you could see he, he didn't want his spirit crushed by his condition. And uh, he said, I can, do, I can do a lot of things. We can do things. But when his wife came in, she, she made it clear that it's much, much harder to do these things. And it takes four hours every day to wake up and to go back to sleep. And, and you know, another thing, too, you need to let your client know that this is not a conversation it's not casual talk about things. When you say something, you know, you're, you're going to be taken literally, probably. So yes means yes, and no means no. One of the other issues that comes up very often, and this is entries in medical records. In a lot of depositions, your client is presented with medical records. And there are entries in the medical records from physicians who have, in most cases, no stake in the case. And there are statements from your client or attributed to your client in those records. And those statements are presented to your client and they're asked, did you say that? And they might disagree with what's in there. They might not think they said that, but I've never seen anybody get anywhere fighting the medical entries in the medical records. And again, I don't remember the last time I went to my doctor, much less what I told my doctor. So you need to cover that with your client. There might be some things in the medical records that are at least inconsistent with uh, a position maybe they're taking in the case. And you really need to talk to them about, do they actually remember being in that doctor's office on that date and what they said and what the doctor said? And because I think the chances are they probably don't, unless it was you know something very significant or memorable. But I don't think anybody gets anywhere fighting with entries in the medical records that are attributed to them. This reminds me of my favorite heuristic, the confirmation bias. When we get a theory of the case in our head, we tend to remember the things that bolster that theory, that further that theory, and the things that go against the theory become invisible. And it's not a matter of being dishonest with yourself, it's just how the mind works. And so when we're in the middle of a case, of course, what we want to think about and what's easy to think about are the good parts of the case. The parts where you want the jury to hear this, that, and that, but the other parts become somewhat invisible. And we have to dig those out and we have to protect our client. Otherwise, we're sending sheep to wolves in the deposition. And that includes those things that you just mentioned, unfavorable comments in the medical records, statements by other witnesses. So in the deposition prep, it's our job. We have to do that. We have to bring our client's attention to these things that they need to be alerted to. Maybe they remember all of them, Sometimes they're surprised. Oh, my gosh, in the police report, it says that. I didn't know that. Or did you know that there was a witness statement, and that witness said something that conflicts with what you said? 
I want the witness to hear all this and to think about it and to think maybe how you would respond to that. If you don't do that, then you'll hear it for the first time in the deposition when you're sitting there on pins and needles and you can't do anything about it. You're just going to sit there and let your client answer a question that you didn't prepare for. I've got a smile on my face because uh, I think this is kind of funny. About 25 years ago, I was involved in a fairly significant auto accident. I wasn't injured. I got banged up a little bit, but my car was totaled. And it was on the highway here in St. Louis, Highway 40. I got rear-ended by somebody going about 40 miles an hour and pushed me into the car in front of me. And again, the car was completely totaled, not drivable. I was able to get out of the car. And I stood on the side of the highway for what seemed like about 40, 45 minutes. And police officers are all over in tow trucks, and they're trying to clear the highway. And I was anxious to give a statement to the police officer, and he came by and took my driver's license. And I can promise you, I was never asked, nor did I say one word about this accident or how it happened. And so a a few, I guess, months or weeks later, whatever it was, at some point, I think I may have been either got the police report or was subpoenaed, you know, to test or whatever. And there was a statement attributed to me in the police (laughs) report. And now I, I think back to me talking to my clients when there's something in the police report and I've, and I've had this happen before where my client says, look, I did not tell that to the police officer. And I'm trying to say, now, wait a minute, why would the police officer put that, you know, put that in there? So I've always kind of given my clients the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the police report about what's in it, because I know for a fact, because I asked when I was told I could leave, I told the police officer, I said, officer, I have not yet given a statement. Do you want me to give a statement? He said, you can go. So I had to call and have somebody pick me up from the scene. But in any event, the idea here is, look, if there are entries in the medical records, you got to know about them. you got to go over them with your client. If there are entries in the police report statements attributed to your client, you need to know about them. You need to go over them. You don't want to be surprised or you have them presented to your client for the first time in the deposition. Criminal history, other lawsuits. Most people, I think, remember if they've been convicted of a felony or they've been convicted of some crime or another. But if it's happened once, I think you'd certainly remember it. They should remember it. But other claims. Is it a workers' comp claim? Is it a injury claim? Again, no means no. Your client needs to understand that they need to be very careful and honest and truthful in answering the questions. And just because you don't remember it at that point in time doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. And you know, a lot of times you remember more about it, as we said, the, you know, the day after. I guess I've heard this dichotomy of always and never. I warn clients, before you use these words, make sure you really mean them. Sometimes they can use them. I always do this, but are you sure? Before you say always, make sure you're sure. And before you say never, this never happened, be be careful. And only use it if you really mean it. One other issue that I'd like to bring up is how your client is treated in the deposition. And we all know there aren't, fortunately, there aren't too many, but, you know, certain attorneys who almost are, you could say, certainly unprofessional, possibly rude, not being respectful to your client. And in the early days of my career, I thought, well, you just tough it out. You take a break and you talk to your client, you go back in and and let's get this over with kind of thing. And as the years have passed, I've regretted taking that position early on in my career And now I have an absolute zero tolerance for that. I just won't let it happen. And to me, as a father, a husband, a grandfather, friends, to me, I'm a person first and a lawyer second. And if something's going on in a deposition that I don't think is appropriate, 
we're done. I will just end it, and that depot won't start again unless there's an agreement in place that it won't continue or I'm ordered to be there and the Court of Appeals says I do need to be there. What I see sometimes that just is way out of bounds, we might have a case where there's something sensitive or personal in our client's background that has absolutely nothing to do with the case or the issues in our case, and it's just brought up. And I think the only reason it's brought up is to throw the client off balance, make them feel uneasy, make them feel a little bit embarrassed, and there's just no call for that. If you sense it in the deposition, you can say, let's take a break. And I always tell the client before the deposition, this is your deposition. Anytime you want to take a break, you just tell everybody and we will take a break. Make them feel at home. I've had that sometimes, like, why are you taking a break? It's very rare. But if they did, I would just say, we're taking a break. There's no reason to answer that question. Everybody's entitled to take a break, except where the question has been already asked. It's on the floor. It's not yet answered. The other thing is, when you're wanting to take a break in the deposition, what I like to do is ask the other attorney. The attorney's asking the questions. We would like to take a break. And when you find a good stopping point in the next five or 10 minutes, if you could take a break, it'd be great. And I think that's probably the best way to handle it. This deposition preparation process is a real opportunity to get to know your client and to enhance the trust between you and your client. And not only what you just suggested, where you step up and you tell someone that they need to behave in a deposition at Courteous, and my client showed up and they're the guest of honor and you should treat them with respect. They're a human being. They're here to answer your question. They're cooperating and you're an attorney, you're a professional. You should be acting like a good person too. But by stepping up and saying those sorts of things, and also in the preparation, working with your client to explain the legal theory. They probably have never had that amount of time with you until that point of preparation for the deposition. If you're showing them that you're a lawyer, and I, I think about a lot of things here, even when you're wondering whether I care about the case, I am. I'm doing work on your case. I'm making outlines. I'm thinking about claims, we, maybe new claims. I'm wondering whether we should dismiss some claims. I'm looking at documents. And it's a really rewarding thing for me to have the client understand the process better about what you actually do during the day. And they can see it as you're preparing for your deposition. Yeah, I mean, part of it is you do all of this work on your client's case, and almost all of it they never see. They don't know. And it really is. It's a great opportunity to bond with them, strengthen the relationship, and impress them with what you're doing on their case. Again, I think it's the most important part of your trial preparation. Preparation is everything. I mean, preparation creates confidence and certainly something that you want to spend uh, enough time on making sure you're ready and making sure your client's ready for their deposition. So that concludes our session on tips for preparing your client for deposition. So this is the end of this podcast. The jury is out. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next time with another topic. I'm Eric Veith. And John Simon. See you next time. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.